Hi, I'm Shane Twist and welcome to Behind the Beef, a podcast that gives you a look behind the scenes and into the everyday activities of the people behind the beef. Firstly, just to kick things off, a big welcome back to our listeners. You may have noticed that Behind the Beef was on a short hiatus, but we are back and jumping right in with an excellent guest for this episode. In this episode of Behind the Beef, I was joined by Angus Australia member, Rebecca George. Beck and her family are commercial Angus producers from Never Tire in New South Wales. Beck is also an active member of the Angus Youth Program and over 20 years has taken part in various activities and events hosted by Angus Youth, including the Angus Youth National Roundup and the Gen Angus Future Leaders Program. She has also been recipient of various scholarships, including the Arc Bar Young Breed Leaders Workshop Scholarship and the Smart Beef Conference Scholarship. She has also been a member of the Roundup Organising Committee and the Angus Youth Consultative Committee. Most recently, however, Beck was recipient of the 2019 Kansas State University Scholarship. After a long travel delay due to the COVID-19 pandemic, Beck was finally able to take up her scholarship opportunity this year and has recently returned from her time abroad. Beck has joined us today to tell us her story in agriculture and the Angus breed, as well as to give us some insight into her time over in the US. So let's jump into our chat with Beck now. Thank you for joining us for the podcast. I appreciate you joining us, Beck. For anybody who hasn't met you before and for our listeners, who are you and where are you recording the podcast today? Yes, thank you for having me. Uh, well, my name is Rebecca George. I'm from the central west of New South Wales. Our family property is located near Neptire. Um, and that's where I'm recording from today. I'm, I'm back on the family farm with mum and dad at the moment. Cool. So what's your background in the industry? Give us a little bit of a rundown on yourself and how long you've been in the beef industry for. What's your background? Yeah, of course. So um, grew up on the family farm. My sisters and I are fourth generation. So my, my parents are third. So this has always been home for us. Um, growing up on a farm is an excellent childhood. I'm many, sure many of the listeners can relate to that. Um, and then I took off to Bathurst for boarding school for year 70, 12, um, and that was a really great experience as well. And I got to get really stuck into showing cows while I was there. I'd done the roundup a few times uh, through the peewee ranks um, before I went to boarding school. But while I was in Bathurst, I was able to join the show team, do the show steer uh, circuit for a few years, which I had a lot of fun doing and definitely learnt a lot there. So I'd say that's where my industry uh, sort of passion started um, it became more of an interest rather than something that I enjoyed doing I was like I can I could really see myself moving forward in this industry rather than just having fun with some cows on the weekend um, after that I took a gap year and I was working with mum and dad at home I actually did three summers in a row which was lovely so I finished year 12 um did a couple of months at home with mum and dad and then went to Europe where I was working in Ireland as an ag contractor for three months, driving tractors over there and then came back to help mum and dad again. So I sort of was just finding my way in in my gap year there before I went up to uni um, to save a bit of money and get a bit of experience, um, some industry experience as well and sort of solidify that agriculture, farming and beef cattle was what I wanted to to keep pursuing as I went up to Armadale for uni. Just going back to your gap year, what's the ag industry like in Ireland? How was that experience for you? It was, as an 18-year-old, it was so eye-opening. I had so much I can fun. Imagine. <laughs> um, yeah, it was, uh, it was uh, of my boarding house mother um, for year 11 and 12 he is Irish and has a business back in Ireland and they were moving um back there full-time so so leaving Australia and he was like oh if you you want to come over for the season that you know we have an extra tractor that 
you could drive and I, I stayed with them, babysat their kids when it was raining, which it seemed to rain all the time. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was so eye-opening because it was meant to be summer over there, but I spent most of the time in a jacket anyway. And mm-hmm. there was just so, so much grass and then everything is so green. And that's just completely different to what we're used to. So yeah, I, I had the imagine. most fun and I learned so much. Yeah. Yeah, it's always good to be able to experience production systems in other parts of the world because we are so ingrained in what we know. But then you go over to, say, Ireland and you're just like, holy moly, there's like a completely different kind of thing that they're doing over here. And they're experiencing agriculture in a completely different way because it's environmentally obviously so different. But then just the practices are completely different then too. Yeah, exactly. Everything was everything I thought I knew everything about was flipped on its head and I was learning so much and and every you know everyone was curious as well wanted to talk to me about what we do back here and it was my first taste of traveling internationally and traveling to experience different agricultural production systems and that definitely led me sort of down a, a bigger path yeah. um that maybe I didn't realize at the time but I had I had the greatest three months. And do you reckon when you got home and sort of got back to your family property, was there anything that you reckon you could teach your parents about your time over in Ireland? Oh, like a few little things. I, I find the Irish people to be incredibly similar to Australians. That We yeah. seem to share a lot of similar attitudes and um, sort of sense of humour and, and stuff like that, but everything else is nearly opposite the size of the country itself and then the properties, the size of the equipment, um, the rainfall obviously is completely different and the weather. Um, so the production systems are just so, so different. Um, but I, it was, it was like same thing, but opposite. It was just, yeah, it was so cool to do it. And I really wish that my parents, could, uh, my mum managed to come visit me, but my dad couldn't get over and I just think that like he would have been so amazed by how similar people can be, but the production system itself is completely different because yeah. every, like all the factors going into it was so different. And as an 18-year-old, you know, they said, come do harvest with us. And in my mind, I was like, yeah, I've been doing harvest with mum and dad for ages. Like, <laughs> cool. I know I know what harvest Easy, is no about. Problem. And then I got over there. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm like, oh, this is, I have no idea what we're doing. (laughs) So, yeah, it was so cool. And I had all my T-shirts and shorts packed thinking I was working a summer season and it was cold and rainy the whole time. (laughs) Oh, well, it sounds amazing, though. I love hearing people's stories about that kind of thing where they kind of go into it with a bit of a different perspective and then they come out of it and they have great stories but completely different than what they thought it was going to (laughs) be. Yeah, well, that was definitely me. That was my first big trip and my my first uh, sort of trip for agriculture as well. And yeah, I walked away from it just being like, wow, like what else is out there? I sort of really wanted to to get to a few different places and see as much as I could really after that. So you've mentioned it a couple of times, your family property where you're currently at right now. So what is your business there and how does it operate? Yes, so we're a a mixed enterprise um, farming business and we have dry land cropping, um, mainly cereals in our rotation. Um, We have meat sheep, so we run white dorpers and Australian whites. And then we have our commercial herd of purebred Angus. So it can be a bit of a balancing act, um, keeping the three sort of balls up in the air at once. But it's something that I grew up watching mum and dad do uh, quite well. So it's, yeah, it can be tough at times definitely to to keep everything. You sort of feel like you're getting ahead in one section and then you look at the sheep like, oh, am I falling behind there? But um, now that I live where I'm based closer to mum and dad and so are my two older sisters, we can sort of, we really are able to work it together as a family, which is nice and um, sort of learn from each other. So it, it's definitely a family affair now that we're, we've all grown up a bit. And we've, we've all migrated back to the Central yeah. West, which is nice. What's your role or how do you see your role in the company? And then what's it like working interchangeably with all your family members? 
yeah I'm sure anyone that has done family business or family farming knows that it's um it can be challenging at times and and you're always on there's sort of there's no clock in or clock out uh on a family farm where sort of a business meeting could just be dinner <laughs> and, yeah <laughs> and that's definitely like just part of the job um especially when you're living on farm too you can't really uh separate those things but um I guess you can say my role is technically farm hand um and I work closely with mum and dad on on everything and as much as I can mum really uh sort of spearheads our bookwork and and all the stuff in the office and record keeping so I'm learning a lot with her there and helping where I can and sort of uh learning the the nitty-gritty the the bottom line and the numbers of running a business which I could argue is basically the most important part of it Mm -hmm. um so a lot of learning in the office um and then out in the out in the paddock mainly with dad doing lots of um lots of technology stuff dad's been really great with us even when we were in high school um if it's something new and fun that we want to try and bring in uh he's super happy to give it a go so um yeah I've sort of taken over the record keeping for our cattle um we run all true test gear so I I sort of manage all the data there and um, produce spreadsheets for dad to look at um and that's probably sort of my my baby, I guess, um, on the farm as like it's still mum and dad's business. So they definitely let me run with that side of things. And as I I gravitate towards the cattle um, mostly <laughs> and I have since I was a kid. So they definitely let me run a bit wild with that section as well. Um, my older sister, Diana, is um, an agronomist by trade. And so she sort of helps a lot with, cropping um our spray wrecks and stuff like that and then my oldest sister emma is a shearer by trade uh we don't have full sheep much to her disgust but <laughs> um she's still super handy on on the sheep front and even with the cattle as well so we have sort of all gravitated towards um a different part of the business and, and are able to help there um yeah you've all and, sort um, of yeah i'm really grateful yeah, definitely. And I think that that works for mum and dad as well. Um, there, there's always someone about and we're always keen to jump in and, and do what we can. Yeah. So you mentioned that your commercial herd is purebred Angus. How long have you been involved, well, I guess, in the Angus breed for your operation? Yeah. So this goes back to my grandfather. Um, he mainly had Herefords. And when dad was probably around my age in his early 20s, um, they started looking to take advantage of some hybrid vigor and brought in some Angus bulls. And it sort of snowballed from there. Um, our neighbours and uh, good family friends are the Chase family with Watara Angus. So we definitely took a lot of inspiration from them and, and saw the great things that they were doing with the breed um, and from the the Herefords and then running the Black Baldies, we we transitioned into a purebred commercial Angus herd and haven't really looked back, to be honest. Um, it's, yeah, given us a lot of opportunities as commercial breeders. We never have trouble finding really good bulls. And we've uh, bred a, a group of females that, that we're pretty proud of. Um, we self-replace with our, with our heifers and we've sort of really bred a line of cows that, that we're quite proud of and um, that have been really good to us as well through through drought and sort of semi-floods. I'm not sure if I can claim floods here, but um, <laughs> they've, they've done a really good job through all the conditions that we've had thrown at us. And, and yeah, I think mum and dad would say the same. They're incredibly happy that they went down the purebred um, Angus sort of road and, yeah, it's it's a it's a good place to be as a cattle producer. Yeah. So with your operation, uh, what are the target markets that you guys hit essentially? Yeah. So with our steers, um, we are sending most of them up north to a feedlot. So we're we're really looking at that market when we're looking at our bulls now. So we're instead of sort of picking things for what we like we're looking down the supply chain now which is something quite exciting and I don't think we would have been doing 
10 years ago. Yeah. Um, so that's really important to us when sourcing our bulls um, is looking down that supply chain, especially for the feedlot market. Um, in terms of our females, we do self-replace, um, but we also have been utilising Auctions Plus to sell the other females that we're not keeping on board with us. And yeah. that has been really successful for us. Um, we don't have the biggest herd but even if we have a small group of females that we can pop up on auctions plus we seem to always be really happy with the results that we can get yeah just on that I guess for those cull females that you're you know removing from your herd what do you essentially cull your females on yeah so uh when we're looking at bulls as well dad has always been structure first um feet is usually his first uh stop when he's looking at both females to to retain and bulls so we we really do have a big focus on structure because I guess at the end of the day they've got to be able to get around um this country can be quite harsh especially in in the drier times so we do really want to prioritize that through the entire herd um and then we can sort of work back to other things from there so with our females yeah we'll start with structure do some hard culls there um, and then if we do need to make any more choices, um, we've sort of gotten to a point where we're quite happy with pretty much all of our females except for the the odd uh, bad structure one. So we'll start going off weight. Um, we'll, we'll retain the heaviest of the heifers um, to keep and pop in with a heifer bull and then the smaller group um, is what we'll cull and, and pop up online. And when it comes to your herd, are there any particular management practices or philosophies that you implement in your operation? Uh, probably no specific ones to us. Um, we we just try to, yeah, just do a good job basically. Um, stick to our calendar of operations, make sure that we're ticking um, all those things off when they need to be and then keeping our animal health up as well. So getting the vac- vaccines in, any backline, stuff like that. And just, yeah, just really looking after our herd and making sure that, where we're ticking all those boxes in in the most recent drought we really prioritized our cows we culled off a few but we kept quite a lot considering how harsh that period was Um, and we really invested in some good quality feed that we were feed testing so that we could come up with more accurate rations and really prioritize them through that really really harsh period and we came out the other end with some really healthy cows that bounced right back so I I guess just hitting all the basics and doing it well is something that we prioritize um and keeping yeah keeping our records up to date and and all, all that keep the ball rolling yeah, exactly. I do remember I had to go out to your part of the world for work. And I remember speaking to people out there then, and obviously it was trying times for you guys. And a lot of people were prioritizing that female herd and making sure that, you know, they were ensuring the longevity of that herd because once the drought broke, you were going to need them to carry you through the next couple of years. So that's a very important point for sure. So for you guys, what do you believe your key drivers of production or success is for your herd? Oh, that's a good one. I guess for success, we do look more um, towards our sort of weaning weights um, and then compare that to when our steers head up on the truck to go up to Queensland for their feedlots. Um, and sort of average daily gain and stuff like that. Um, we look at those numbers a lot once those cattle have sort of headed off our, our place and are on to their next um, adventure. And to, we, we like to compare to the year before, compare seasons as well, see if we were utilising our pastures as good as we could have been, um, stuff like that. So we definitely look to the data uh, to measure success, I would say. And that's something that I've enjoyed doing a lot. Um, producing those numbers, it's it, it's quite black and white. You can say like, yes, we've improved here and, and no, we haven't here. And I think that's helped mum and dad a lot as well. Um, dad really enjoys looking at his spreadsheets and, and seeing uh, how we're doing in those parts. So, yeah, for our cattle, definitely data-driven to measure our success, um, especially with those steers as weight is everything when we're trying to get them backgrounded yeah. um, to head up north 
And it's also fun to see the kill data that comes in from our cattle. Um, once they have done their time in the feedlot, it's it's really cool to see that data and then um, compare it to what we had here on farm and compare, compare to the year before. And, and then that's genetics, you know, we're still heading in the right direction yeah, um, making those in terms of our breeding. Yeah. So data is an incredibly powerful thing. Um, and I think it's, it's definitely the, the best way for us to measure our success and sort of if we need to make any changes in terms of production there. Um, and it's something that I've really enjoyed learning about sort of alongside mum and dad because it definitely wasn't as big as a factor when they first started farming. So that's been yeah. something that we've been able to sort of learn together. Yeah, it's 100% true. There's so much new stuff coming out all of the time. It's hard to know which ones are best applicable to you. So hats off to you guys to really doing that test year in and year out, really trying to get that quantitative data to back up your breeding decisions essentially and to make those gains because obviously you don't want to plateau. You want to keep making those progressions within your business. So for you guys, are there any challenges that you experience in your business being where you are that you have to overcome? Yeah, so like most of probably Western New South Wales and Queensland as well, we are very challenged by our weather. Our highs are high and our lows are very low um, in terms of that. And I think that's something that the region as a whole and then more specifically our family has learnt to navigate a lot better. Um, Sort of tracking these weather systems and drought proofing is definitely something that's been on the forefront um, of our mind, especially since the last drought. That's something that I've found myself thinking about a lot, researching about a lot. Um, you know, this, these great years where we're having the right amount of rain and there is feed in the paddocks aren't going to last forever. Yeah. Are we making good decisions now so that when we do hit another hard period, we're more prepared, we've got some, some feed stashed away and we're ready to get stuck back into drought feeding? Um, so that's definitely, I would say, our biggest challenge here um, is reacting to those weather systems. And I guess we're trying to be more proactive rather than reactive. Yeah. Uh, I can remember as a child, it was um, a few droughts that we had when I was really young, um, quite challenging. And it's you sort of waiting for the rain to come and before you make your next decision. And, and it's quite quite an unstable and nearly hopeless feeling um whereas now we can plan a bit more we can be a bit more proactive we've buried some grain um you know we've made hay things like that I feel like every year it's in the back of our mind like what are we doing this year to prepare for it may be three years it could be six years whenever that next drought hits um so that we can commit to to the female herd again when yeah when that time comes. Um, so I definitely say that's our biggest challenge and it has been interesting sort of rising to that challenge and, and learning to navigate that because unfortunately we can't change the weather system. Um, yeah. So we've just got to find a way to navigate it successfully. Yeah, exactly. And I guess there's always threats and challenges. There's always opportunities to learn from them. With the three sort of different aspects of your business, when it comes to that kind of thing, do you find that they complement each other on those ups and downs? Yeah, yeah. Usually, usually we've got sort of one ball, I guess, that's that's up in the air and is doing well. Um, so, obviously, when we're in the in the peak of drought, there were no crops in the ground, so that whole part of our business had really ground to a halt um, and we were focused on the animals we, we decided to retain and doing that well. Um, so they, they do tend to balance each other out. And then the cattle and the, and the sheep market, it, they usually can balance out a bit. It, that is sort of a, a wave you've got to ride with both of them. Yeah. Um, but, but we do manage to, to sort of at least we've got something to turn to yeah. um, at each time with while running the three instead of being solely reliant on one enterprise. Um, and I think diversifying our business has helped us uh, in the past. I think it definitely will in the future. Um, and, yeah, it's sort of it gives us a bit of reassurance. We definitely focus and, and probably put a lot more 
into our cattle than we do our sheep. Um, our sheep are quite, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Dorpers or Aussie Whites, but they are very uh, easygoing sheep. <laughs> Self-sufficient. They, they're very hardy. They are, they are, <laughs> which is um, super handy for us. And they're not as time intensive um, yeah. as a wool breed is, which has definitely been a blessing to us when we were running wool sheep. Um, we had a lot, lot more on the calendar um, to sort of achieve and a lot more inputs and expenses um, for the sheep as well. So transitioning into uh, some sort of less labour-intensive sheep has definitely helped us in that aspect as well, have a bit less on, but we're still able to sort of have that stream of revenue that was just as good as the wool when we're doing it right. Yeah, so for your business, I guess, looking to the future, what do you hope to see for your business and what goals might you guys have? Yeah, so this is um, this is an interesting one because I guess as a family, we're entering uh, that time where we are looking at a potential transition period. Mum and dad um, are looking towards retirement, a very well-earned retirement. Um, and then there's me and my two sisters who all love this farm and are, are willing to put in the work uh, to keep the legacy going. So we, we are in that really interesting period there where we're figuring out what the next steps are going to be. Um, for me personally, I would love to run this place alongside my sisters. I think our skills and abilities complement each other really well. Um, but unfortunately, it is not a big enough place to support three families or, or three people. So we sort of need to, to navigate that, but I, I do see continuing to take our Angus herd uh, into the future and growing them bigger is something that I would really like to do, run a, a larger commercial herd of uh, cows. Um, and I would also like to lean more into the Australian whites rather than um, the white dorpers in our sheep as well. The dorpers have been really great to us, but I think Aussie whites are a really cool breed. Um, and they're doing great on the market as well. So I would probably like to refine our sheep a bit more in that direction um, and then, yeah, keep up with the, the dry land cropping, um, maybe throw in a few things that we haven't done in a while. We're growing canola for the first time in about eight to ten years. So maybe trial a few things that we haven't done for a while or haven't done before um, and, and keep all that going as well as, of course, if the opportunity arises to try and maybe grab a bit more land um, and, and see what we can do with that as well and maybe build up our land a bit more and then we can, can run a few more cows. <laughs> the main attraction, I guess you could say. <laughs> yes, <laughs> what, what everyone's here for. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I guess outside of your business, sort of turning back to you a little bit more personally, how else are you involved in the ag industry outside of your business? Yes, so going through uni, um, I did a double degree of agriculture and business and uh, Armidale and University of New England is such a great place to be if you are in the ag industry. There are so many opportunities there that, that I got to enjoy. I went to a lot of different conferences um, and did a heap of different workshops that are that focused around the agricultural industry which are really great while I was there. So I was able to sort of expand um, my passion for agriculture uh, just outside of the beef industry, I guess, when I was in Armadale, which was really cool. Um, one of my my other part-time job um, is I'm a vet nurse in Warren, which is like a local clinic. So working in a mixed practice clinic um, has been really cool and really eye-opening um, with working on large animals as well I've learned a lot more about animal health and um sort of that side of of running cows or sheep or goats even um so yeah agriculture is it's really been the the main pillar of my life even as a child growing up on a farm you know it, it is a part of your life and I guess it's something that I never thought would take me this far but it did um, and, and I'm really glad that it did because there's endless opportunities and agriculture itself is such a huge umbrella and I, I would love to experience some more of it. Um, 
my major at uni was international business and I find international uh, commodity markets um, and, and export really industry interesting. <laughs> um, so that's something that I would like to keep exploring as well. And yeah, I guess looking back, agriculture has really been the biggest part of my life. And I'm sure a lot of farm kids can relate. They've probably, there's so many farm kids out there that have ended up in, in many different uh, aspects of agriculture. And I guess it's, it starts out as what we know and it ends up being what we love. Exactly. I mean, you're definitely right. There's a lot of different avenues you can go in. But just touching on sort of some of those experiences that you have taken up the opportunity to do, you recently returned from overseas because you were the, was it 2019 Kansas State University Scholarship recipient through the Angus Foundation. So took a few years to get there, but you only got back a couple of weeks ago. So why did you apply for the K-State University Scholarship and what was the application process like for you? Yes. So growing up through the Angus Youth Program, I think the K-State Scholarship and the Illinois Scholarship are like the, the crown jewels of Angus Youth. And it's something that I've been looking at since I was a kid um, and sort of aspired to. So I was, 2019 was my last year in Armidale. I was rounding up um, my degree and I was like, now I'm going to apply now and, and try my luck. And um, I was fortunate enough to be the recipient that year and which would have seen me in Kansas at 2020. And I, I was just over the moon that my first crack at applying, I, I'd managed to to come away with it. So it was very exciting. And the application process, um, I actually really enjoyed. So the, the written application to, to start off with um, was sort of similar to, to many scholarships that you apply for, but the interviews was quite interesting. Um, there was some board members from Angus Australia, as well as the recipient prior to me. So Annabelle was on the board um, for my interview and I just found that really cool that she was part of the process and she was not long back as well. So had some really interesting insights and um, I was able to direct questions at her as well about the experience and, and different things like that. So I did really enjoy the application process and was super stoked when I found out that I'd be heading over there. It, uh, yeah, COVID had some other plans for us, but as always, <laughs> as always. <laughs> so, um, when you finally got to get over there, what was your initial impressions of America and uh, Kansas and K State on arrival? Yeah, so I I got over there early January, and my first stop was Denver for the National Western Stock Show. Um, so I did that for a few days, which was exciting, but. I think I walked out of Denver airport and I was wearing a t-shirt um, <laughs> in January and I was like, oh, it's pretty cold. <laughs> Everyone was like, it's going to be so cold. And I was like, it can't be that bad. But I think it was definitely the coldest weather I've ever experienced. Yeah. Um, so that was definitely my first shock. Um, and going to the, the show in Denver straight off the plane was really cool because there was some Aussies floating about. I was able to catch up with Jack and Georgie Laurie um, and one of my good friends, Tyler Comerford. Um, so it was good to see some familiar faces straight off the plane before um, heading over to K-State. And I, I, when I got to K-State, I guess my first impression um, was just how beautiful the campus was, even in winter. It was so lovely. But the facilities and the offering of subjects uh, that are specific to me, I was, thought was really cool um, and something that's just not really on offer in Australia yet. Yeah. So, yeah, I was really impressed with that right off the bat. So can you give us a little overview of your trip? I mean, it was a couple of months, hard to squeeze into a little overview, but um, can you give us a bit of an overview of your trip over the course of the time that you were there? Yeah, of course. So the semester started um, in January and then finished in the middle of May. So I, I was in Kansas for, for that period of time and it was really cool to see sort of land in the middle of winter and then really see the countryside come alive um, into the spring. 
which was was really nice. And the spring semester was handy. Um, there was a lot of bull sales happening at the time, which was really good. One of my classes that I took actually was about bull sale management. So the class ran the bull sale for the K-State purebred unit, which was definitely a highlight um, and really cool that the students were able to run something of that scale. And of course, it attracts like quite a lot of people. Um, not everyone's buying, of course, but it does attract a big crowd. And that was I just found that a really interesting class concept because it you know you're in the classroom every week speaking to different producers about their bull sales and sort of doing up the catalog and then yeah when it's it's sale day it's sort of all us and it's like oh well like there's a lot to do and all the stuff behind the scenes um divvied up through the class so that was really cool and I'm glad that I was there in the spring and was able to do that one um and I, I was just really lucky that I was able to take quite a, a broad uh, selection of classes, I guess. Yeah. Um, and I worked uh, with Dr. Dan Moser, um, who is the assistant dean in the College of Ag. Um, we worked together to really curate a timetable that was very fitted to my interests. Yeah. Um, which was something really, really cool. Like you, you don't get to do that everywhere. Um, and yeah, I just have to jam that schedule full of cool stuff. <laughs> and I guess it's also interesting coming from you did go to university with a sort of lean to the ag side of things, but then to go over there and experience it's really so broad over there as well of what you actually can do that you we wouldn't even kind of have much of a thought of doing at most universities, I guess, in Australia. I can't speak for all of them, but I don't know one off the top of my head that's that specific in that quite niche I guess you could say, ag side of things. So that's really interesting. Yeah, definitely incredibly niche. And it wasn't just the beef cattle, like uh, the dairy units, um, the stuff offered around poultry um, as well as swine uh, and even horse science. It just the whole animal science unit just had such a huge offering of anything that with under that umbrella that you could be interested in. And it was really impressive. Yeah. And I guess for you in terms of building on what you already know from your own background, I guess it really gave you that opportunity for a bit more personal and professional development. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I guess going uh, after having completed my degree in Australia did give me a like a slight advantage in that prereqs I had really done. So I was able to take quite specific units that usually I would have had to complete a few more before I could get there. Um, so I took one that was called Cow-Calf Health Systems. Um, it's a pre-vet unit and it was just all about like the cow-calf cycle and managing their health through that. And to do that for a whole semester is like you get into the nitty-gritty, which was really cool. Yeah. Um, as well as like I did some nutrition uh, units as well and it did take me a little while to get back into the chemistry of things. Um, yep. <laughs> once once you've been uh, out of the classroom for a little while, the, the heavy science sort of takes a little while to get back into the swing of things. But you've got the time to really, really unpack whatever it is, that specific unity attacking, and it's, it's really cool. Yeah. So um, I guess what are some other standout moments over the course of the semester that you were there? Yeah, so... 100% the people. It's such a good opportunity to expand your network. Um, I was staying in a 4-H sorority house, so I was living with girls that had all been through the American 4-H youth programs, which are all ag-related. Um, so lots of like-minded people, which was really great to be surrounded by. And then, of course, all my different professors and other classmates and, and stuff. You just make a network that you can sort of call upon whenever and meet really interesting people and people that are interested in Australia and the Australian beef industry as well. Like I definitely wasn't the only person asking questions and learning. Um, there was many times where they would call upon me and people had different questions and my peers would have questions about coming over here to work for a year or two and, and stuff like that. So it was cool to have that back and forth and sort of be able to champion Australian ag a little bit because yeah. I love it so much. <laughs> um, so it was nice to be able to sort of be able to advocate a little bit as well. 
Yeah. Did you get to, I guess, get off campus a little bit and experience the American production systems? What did you make of the differences between Australia and the American beef industries? Yeah, I had a few um, a few chances to, to jump off campus and um, get amongst it. So I went to the Green Gardens Angus Full Sail, which is um, in Kansas, about two hours away from Manhattan where uh, K-State is located. So it was cool to see, um, to sort of get into a few more bull sales. Uh, their auctioneering is incredibly quick and hard to follow, <laughs> I found. Um, so that, that was uh, one of the more fun differences, I guess. But looking at, at their data and sort of their cattle and, and recognising a few sire names there in the books and uh, being able to see it all in the flesh is pretty exciting when we, we're so used to these exciting sires coming from the U.S., and we don't really get to see them in the flesh. So being over there and, and able to see some of their bull sales and seeing calves of some iconic size was was really cool. I also, during the spring break, was able to drive up to Nebraska to visit um, a, a family friend up there, and I was able to see a feedlot, which was, um, which was quite cool, uh, seeing sort of their scale and some stuff that they do this particular feedlot was doing uh, voluntary RFID tags, I guess you would call it, which I guess the difference between the US beef industry and ours and something that shocked me the most was that there was no mandatory RFID system. So there was no equivalent to our NLIS system. And when I first learned that, it was like my mind was blown because yeah. um, <laughs> of how heavily our industry is centred around it. I mean, even... Uh, on, on the farm level, all of our records are done off an NLS tag. So yeah. it blew my mind that there was no mandatory system on that front. So then to visit a feedlot that does it voluntarily um, to sort of ease traceability um, and record keeping, especially with animal health, was quite cool. Yeah. So I guess a different one, what was the biggest culture shock and what was one thing that you think we should start adopting in Australia from the US? Oh, there was there was lots of culture shocks, like so many different little things. <laughs> Easily the first was how cold it gets. I just, I'm not a winter person at all. So that really, really hit me hard. Yeah. Um, but thank, thankfully it eventually got to some good spring weather. Um, and then all all the little things like dif- all the different foods and and different sayings and stuff like that that they have that it, it's the same anywhere you go. But when you're in one place for so long, you're just like, oh, it's so different. <laughs> um, and <laughs> the biggest culture shock for the beef industry was definitely the the RFID tags that I was talking about before. Um, sort of in terms of difference between our two industries, and I just like. There's, there's so many cattle in the US and there is so many really, really excellent Angus breeders over there. Yeah, And I just think we're really lucky to sort of have that market to bring some genetics in to Australia and to further improve our herds. Um, I, like, I think it's, it's really cool that we were able to call upon them and the really cool size that they're breeding from some really historic herds as well. And surely the tables are going to turn in 10, maybe 20 years and, you know, we'll be producing that many iconic sires over here and um, sort of shipping them out over there. So it was really cool to be able to see that in the flesh because I I feel like, you know, reading it in a catalogue here is one thing to sort of getting over there and seeing the wheels turning and um, sort of such a big industry. Yeah. So for you, from your overall experience, what were some of your big take-homes and learnings from your time abroad? Yes. Oh, so many, so many. I I was really, really grateful to be able to study the subjects that I did that was so in-depth um, as I did. And I would highly encourage anyone that's at the university level and is interested in beef production and is studying agriculture to apply for scholarships like this or even look into exchanges um, to get over to the States and take advantage of some of these units because they're incredibly cool. And the level of the professors and even guest lecturers that come in and talk to you, um, it's it's really special that you can sort of get that nitty-gritty into 
the things that you care about, you can really pick the side of the beef industry that you care about and get so specific about it. So that was definitely one of my biggest takeaways was just the the units on offer and how diverse they can be. Um, and yeah, incredibly grateful that I was able to study that in depth um, with within one specific industry, if you will. Yeah. So just for our listeners, the 2023 Kansas State University Scholarships applications are actually open right now. They close on the 11th of September. So if there's anybody out there uh, thinking about applying, Beck, what would you say to them and why would you encourage them to do so? You've touched on it a bit, but I guess just an overall. Yeah. I mean, I don't think there is a person out there that I would say don't do it to. I had such a good time and not only are you learning so much and there's just so like there's endless opportunities to learn and get stuck into the beef industry there you're gonna have a lot of fun like the American college system is so different to ours like the sports and like all those different things that they do I had so much fun going to baseball games with my friends and the people that you get to meet like that even opens up other doors for you. You'll get to see different places, um, experience how people live over there. You, you're just going to have such a great time. And everyone is so incredibly welcoming um, that I interacted with in Kansas and they, they're going to make it the whole experience for you. So yeah, anyone listening, get the applications in because you will not regret it one single bit. I guess you've touched on it as well. And I mean, the K-State scholarship is through our Angus Youth Program and you've been involved in the program for a number of years. So what activities have you been involved with with the Angus Youth Program? And can you share a memory that you're fond of of your time as part of the program? Yeah, I was actually talking to my mum about this a couple of nights ago and we think I was six at my first roundup. Oh, wow. And I know, I know. I went along. Um, my older sister wanted to start showing um, and I was old enough to to do it as well. So my parents were like, yep, jump in there. So it was in Glen Innes and um, we went with Waitara Angus, the, the chasers um, that live next door to us. And I remember I was number one, mm-hmm. um, bib number one, and I had this bossy heifer and my poor buddy I think was so stressed the whole time because it was just me and my heifer just being dragged around all over the place but I had so much fun um I just remember being like very hot and really big days like especially for a young kid yeah but just having the greatest three days ever um and I guess after that the roundup sort of just became a January staple for me yeah I I don't even know how many I've attended. Um, and then sort of as I got a bit older, I, I transitioned into jumping on the committee and helping out where I could there. But I've, I've been very, very fortunate to do a fair few things with Angus Youth. Um, the Gen Angus program has been a, a highlight. That's such a such a unique and really, really special program um, that's being offered. And we, we got to cover some really cool stuff. And then we yeah. went to Adelaide as well and did some really fun activities and it was good to network with everyone um, that you sort of see across Zoom and you see on Facebook all the cool things they're getting up to. Um, so it was good to to catch up with them uh, in person. Um, there's, there's just like such a really cool offering of things to do in the Angus Youth Program and probably mum and dad signing me up at six to go to the Roundup was probably something I'm very grateful for one yeah. of their, their best choices because I've really just been uh riding that wave for oh god for 20 years now I'm 26 so that's sort of you're a success story that's for sure <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah, definitely that first round up with with my bossy little half I was a really fun memory yeah. um and it was definitely the start of something I don't think mum or dad or me thought would go this far yeah I guess when you think of your time that you've spent in the Angus Youth Program in terms of 
how you produce cattle, but also how you conduct yourself as a person. How do you think being involved in those various different activities from Roundup through to the different scholarships that you have been part of, uh, Jen Angus, like you've just touched on, how do you think that's affected both your, I guess, professional life in your business and how you produce cattle, but also as a person? Yeah, I think this is something that I perhaps took for granted when I was younger. But going through things like Roundup um, and then the other youth shows, I, I did a few all breeds as well. Sort of the stuff that you do there, like the junior judging and then the, the workshop days that, that you do, I think as like a, a child and then a young adult or like a teenager, those very formative years, I ended up with a lot of confidence in public speaking by the time I got to late high school. Um, I That wasn't a scary thing to do anymore, which for a lot of my peers that, that didn't go through those sort of things, that was something they were working on then where I feel like I'd, I'd had a microphone shoved in my face that many times. I was sort of, you know, confident enough in my ability to, to public speak and to um, conduct myself professionally as well. And I think it's really cool that we get to learn that stuff from quite a, a young age. Yeah. Um, it's given me an incredible work ethic, like youth shows really instills a, a good work ethic and sense of responsibility because um, someone is trusting you with their animal uh, for, for the three days and it's your responsibility to yeah. to look after that heifer and, and make her look her best on show day as well. So. I think they're really special things and like core values that are instilled uh, in teenage years and, and from childhood when you go through youth shows. And I think it's something that you don't recognise at the time. Um, I've definitely gotten now into into my 20s and I have the confidence um, to talk in professional settings and to public speak and to sort of have meetings and roundtables. And I do credit that a lot to youth shows and the different uh, sort of workshops and scholarships that I've done through Angus Youth um, to have that level of confidence um, quite early on in my career. Yeah. So just off of the back of that, why would you encourage others to take part in Angus Youth programs or activities or the scholarships and awards and bursaries program? I think that there's something for everyone in, in um, the offering under Angus Youth. I think that, that everyone can find something that's well suited to them. I, I never did the Tokal judging assessment school, but that is one that I wish that I had done. And I've seen a lot of people go through and really rave about that. So yeah. if you're someone that is maybe not inclined to the stud world and to the showing scene, that's incredibly commercially relevant, that Tokal scholarship. Yeah, no, I have to agree. I was lucky enough to go last year and it was really a beneficial pro. Like, coming from a commercial background myself just in the sense of getting in there it's very commercial focused very and target market focused it's a really really been and it's I know there were people there that have been in the industry for longer than I had and there's people that have been in the industry for very very short amount of time and I think everybody got as much out of it as the next person so I can definitely attest to that that it's a a very very good program to be involved in and applications are open for that at the moment as well (laughs) we're touching on all of the yeah exactly yeah I I'll um I will champion the Angus Youth Program until cows come home literally because it's there's so much on offer everyone's bound to find something that's going to suit them and I guess the term youth makes you think of sort of children or or teenagers but there's so many more things in there for people that are in the early stages of their their career or starting their own business um like the gen angus program that we were talking about before there's an incredible amount of content in there for for people looking to start their own businesses and are in that early stage so there's there's really something that is relevant to the industry um that anyone could could jump yeah. in and, and get some value out of for sure. I guess we're again touching on things that are currently running in the Angus Youth Program, but registrations are currently open for the 2024 Roundup. And as and you've touched on what sort of Roundup has meant for you in your career and life, essentially. And you are obviously a past organising committee member. So why would you encourage people to attend 
the upcoming Roundup event. Yeah, Roundup is so much fun. Like we, we've touched on it a few times and you learn so much and, and organising it is such a great way to give back to the youth. But honestly, you just have the best three, four days. Um, you get to see people that maybe you don't get to see a whole lot throughout the year. You get to meet new people. Um, and then like with the novice section as well, there's always people that are sort of starting their journey with cattle or the beef industry. And that's really exciting to be a part of and, and help them and, and see them gain their confidence throughout the weekend is really special. Um, yeah, I have, I've always had the best time at Roundups, even from a little kid, teenager, and, and then organizing it. I think, you know, mum and dad have driven an ungodly amount of kilometers <laughs> to take me and my sisters to Roundups. And then eventually we put the pea plates on and had to do it ourselves. Um, yeah. And it's it's worth it every single time. Like I've I've met some amazing people and and some of my closest friends through through Roundup and and youth shows and um it's just a jam packed weekend full of fun and learning and yeah I even if you're a little bit older and and you don't you haven't grown up on that scene like it doesn't matter just apply and and pop a bib on and there's so many people willing to help you and. And you'll come away with new friends and new skills. And it's, yeah, I'd encourage anyone, no matter your level of ability to apply. Perfect. So I think that covers all of the questions. <laughs> we covered a few different uh, topics here today, but I think that covers off everything apart from our last question that we do ask everybody. But lastly, how do you have your steak? Oh, good question. Um, I like a good medium steak. I, I was a bit of a fussy kid, so I, I used to be a, a bit of a well-done kid, but um, a good medium steak now hits the spot for me. Perfect. <laughs> well, thank you, Beck. I appreciate you coming on the podcast and giving us a bit of insight into yourself and your story and your various experiences that you've had through the Angus Youth Program. So thank you again for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And that brings us to the end of today's episode. A massive thanks again to our guest Beck for joining us for this episode and thanks to our listeners for tuning in. As we touched on in our episode today, there are a number of scholarship opportunities currently available through the Angus Youth Program. For the first time since 2019, applications are currently open for the Kansas State University Scholarship. Angus Australia is very excited to bring back this scholarship sponsored by the Angus Foundation, which provides a young beef cattle enthusiast the chance to study at one of the best agricultural universities in the United States. The Kansas State University Scholarship provides an Angus Australia member with the opportunity to study at K-State for one semester. The scholarship is open to any young beef cattle enthusiast who is a member of Angus Australia wanting to increase their knowledge of all facets of the beef industry. To be eligible for this scholarship, applicants must be between 21 and 30 years of age and also a current financial member of Angus Australia. For further information about the K-State University Scholarship, please visit the Angus Australia website. Applications close Monday, September 11th. The Angus Foundation is also excited to be supplying five scholarships for Angus Australia members to attend the Tokal Beef Cattle Assessment course. Taking place on the 4th to the 6th of December 2023 and organised by Angus New South Wales, the Tokal Beef Cattle Assessment course is widely recognised as one of the most practical and hands-on beef cattle selection courses of its kind. The course will cover a wide range of topics ranging from using EBVs, structural confirmation and selection of market utilising Boss Taurus and Boss Indicus breeds and their crosses and will help participants through developing practical skills and information and presenting network opportunities. Applications are open for Angus Australia members aged 16 to 30 years old. For further information about these scholarships, please visit the Angus Australia website. Applications close Monday, September 11th. And finally, registrations are currently open for the 2024 NH Foods Angus Youth National Roundup, being held in Tamworth, New South Wales on the 10th to the 14th of January. 
Young beef enthusiasts aged between 8 and 25 are encouraged to register. The event is open to all competitors from novice to experienced. In addition to the educational experiences and competitions such as herdsmen, junior judging and paraders, there are several great awards on offer. The 2024 NH Foods Angus Youth National Roundup will once again have fun in store for your parents and guardians with the Parents and Sponsors bus trip, visiting cattle studs and local attractions. Expressions of interest for the bus trip can be done as part of your Roundup registration. Registrations for the 2024 NH Foods Angus Youth National Roundup will close on Sunday the 17th of September. So to register or for further information, please visit the Angus Australia website. And that's all we have time for. As always, make sure you follow and subscribe to Behind the Beef and leave a five-star rating or review. And follow and like Angus Australia and Angus Youth Australia on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and LinkedIn. Thanks again and we'll catch you on the next one.